Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio. Your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode 18, powered by Inside Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. And Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes, looking to take their game and studies to the next level at juniorprospecthockeyleague.com. We're happy to bring on Pat Malloy, player development and skills and skating coach, to talk about building an NHL player, about some clients of his. Just It's interesting to talk about the path that players take to get to the NHL. And this week, we're going to focus on Tyler Toffoli, because I distinctly remember watching him play with the Ottawa 67s. It was kind of like the 9 010 season, you know, the 0809 season, his first couple of years, where the knock on him is, oh, he's not going to play. Like his skating's just too bad. Like there's other things about his game we like. We just, it was really, a, it was, it was funny. I don't like consensus, but that was the consensus. And then everybody seemed to buy into it. Um, Pat, talk about that journey when you were working with Tyler, you know, in the first four years, especially. And then as he's progressing into the American hockey league, after he was drafted by LA, talk about that process with him about helping him become the type of skater that was needed to be in the NHL. Cause you don't have to be a great skater. You just have to skate the game. Well. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I came to know of, of Ty, um, a kid that I had coached in, at the junior level, uh, and, and done work with had recommended him. He was with the 67s and, um, you know, this fella had recommended to him, you know, you should talk to Pat and, um, you know, he had reached out and, and I, you know, obviously a new album, there's, there's name recognition there and, um, you know, was really humble in his, his approach and that, Hey, you know, I, I hear you're someone that might be able to help me with this. And I said, absolutely. Um, and we dug into it. And so, you know, back in those days, one of the first things that I had done was kind of like a video assessment of his movements, his stride, his posture. Um, and in, the, in those days, I was using the Dartfish software, which allowed me to look at different angles and different things and just recognize what's going on with this guy as an athlete posturally. And, and you know what it built from there. And it was funny that that we bring his name up and, and he's this week's topic. I was I was uh, cleaning up my office and back in those days, you would burn a CD um, of, of, you know, the, the training session and, and, you know, the breakdown on dart fish and we'd burn a CD and, and his CD was there. I'm cleaning up my office and went back and looked at it. And um, pretty interesting because, uh, you know, I think from a diagnosis perspective, a lot of what we tried to, to, to fix at that time or to, to curtail um, is, is stuff that we're seeing that's allowed him to skate here. And I think he just, I actually spoke with him the other day, 700 games, um, not bad for a guy that, you know, skating was the question on him. So, you know, really what it started with was, you know, he, he's playing for the 67s and, and we're doing sessions while the season's going on. And then obviously into the off seasons and, you know, he's, he's sort of sneaking out and we're doing different things to try to, you know, lay the foundation, if you will, from a postural standpoint, just to, to get him because at the time what we saw with him, he was really trunked out. You know, he was, his, his butt was way up in the air. He was a, you know, kind of a leaned trunk type skater, um, but did so many other things. I mean, there may not be a fellow with a, as good a stick that I had seen at the junior level in, in forever. Um, you give him a good pass, a bad pass, it wouldn't matter. He found ways to put pucks on net 
from crazy angles and bad spots and, and hard and accurate. So, um, you know, what we endeavored to do was clean up some of the postural stuff that allowed him to make that next step. So again, can we completely change and overhaul a skater? No, you can't, but you can definitely clean up enough of the things that allow them to navigate the surface and play to their strengths. And for him, you know, hitting holes at the right time, arriving versus being there. So, you know, what we tried to do was create an efficiency in his posture and his movement that allowed him to skate the game to the maximum of his ability. And, um, you know, a lot went into it. A lot of hours went into, you know, creating some of those changes. And then here we are 700 games later uh, and, and, you know, he, he's still going and, and still going pretty strong. So uh, it, it was a fun journey for sure. So Pat, from a development coach perspective to scouting perspective, first thing I always tell people is look at the base, focus on posture. Can you talk uh, to, to our audience and explain why? What does posture allow the athlete to do from a mobility perspective that they wouldn't if, if they didn't have it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in social right now in terms of presentations and stuff that I had done. I did a presentation back at the University of Michigan in the summer. It was all about posture. And really, you know, the origins of power and turning power into speed and speed into quickness for a skater starts with posture. I've sort of coined the term postural power acquisition. Are you standing in such a fashion as an athlete that allows you to access the power in your legs to move your mass? Um, that's universal amongst athletes. Am I standing in such a way that allows me to take the strength that I currently possess to move the mass that I currently possess. And so when I talked about sort of trunked out skaters, if you think about a skater and if they were to lean their shoulders way, way, way over their hip line out front of themselves, almost like they're going to fall over inherently what happens is, is, you know, they stand up, their bum rises. And then what you don't have is flexion through the hips and knees. And we know the main driver in terms of creating power is, comes from our quad or our quadricep muscle on the front of our leg. And so, you know, without getting too science, really the, the big thing is, is, is an athlete standing in a way that allows them to move their mass more efficiently than the person beside them. And so, you know, there's ways to increase speed. For instance, if, you know, you and I are similar talented skater types, um, you know, often the stronger player that can move their mass so the person with more strength, if technique is equal and talent is equal, they're likely to win a race because they can move their mass a little bit quicker. So, you know, for a, for a player like Ty, who was never going to be a high volume skater per se, and the one thing we noticed with him was, um, you know, that trunked out sort of forward lean, not a lot of hip and knee flexion, um, you know, was someone that didn't really have a high stride turnover rate what we started to look at is how do we maximize the ability to access your power to move your mass? Let's start with that. Um, and so from that perspective, from a biomechanical perspective, just putting him in posture that allowed him to access his mass, uh, sorry, his strength to move his mass was huge. And so, you know, you think of it like this, if, if you weigh, using round numbers, if you weigh 200 pounds and your muscles are built to move 200 pounds, but you don't stand in a way to allow 100% activation of that strength, you're now trying to move all your mass with only part of your strength. And so when, when I looked at it, the idea was, how do I get all of your strength to move all of your mass? 
Canucks. That's problem number one. And then, of course, you know, why you see for young National Hockey League players, drafted players, you know, when you hear the, de- the coin term development, everyone needs to get stronger for sure. So one of the ways to increase speed is to increase strength. If I can keep my mass the same or less. So, for instance, if my body composition is 12% body fat, let's say I take it down to 10%, but I increase my strength. I have now less mass to move, and by virtue of raising my strength level, I have more strength to move that mass, therefore I should be faster. So from that perspective, what we try to look at is obviously, you know, as most young players that are drafted do, they're working really hard in the gym to get stronger. Then I needed to redirect how do we access that newfound strength to move that mass. And and that really was, I won't say the magic sauce, but it's, it's really, you know, I talked a lot about in, in our segments here together, just the synergy of departments, making sure that, you know, the strength and conditioning department working with a development coach such as myself would be that, you know, it, it's not me alone. It's not some magical skating drill that I do. And any skating coach that tells you that, they're lying to you. It, it's not, it's got to be something done in unison and creating a better athlete. Therefore, you know, lean mass, increased levels of strength obviously mobility and and taking care of the way that you move and taking care of yourself so you can move optimally from your athletic standpoint, because we're all a little different athletically. And then making sure we recognize and put them in positions to say, here's posture that's going to allow you, here's what this feels like. Here's where you are now on video in terms of your posture and why we struggle maybe to get to certain points. And here's where we're trying to go with it. Um, And so the, the journey and the process was years in the making um, and I, I don't think that anyone's going to look at Ty and say, well, you know, he's going to, he's going to beat Connor McDavid in a race kind of thing. But I think what we can all agree is he skates the game incredibly well. He puts himself into the spots that he needs to put himself and no two skaters are the same, but the science in terms of how you build an athlete to move their mass is the same amongst us all. It's just athleticism, injury, talent level and interest level play play a huge role in an athlete's ability to move and, and navigate the ice. So while he may not look the same as another athlete, um, what you'll find is he's become very effective at doing the things he needs to do, you know, to, to surpass the 700 game mark in the National Hockey League. And, you know, we have le- uh, less than a minute left. How much of it is based on his habits of him continually to recognize this is what I need to do to stay here? I can't ever relent in that respect. That was a big thing. You know, when you get a junior player and at that time, right. I mean, if you think back to Tyler Toffoli as a junior, I mean, score, 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 score. So, you know, a lot of times those guys aren't necessarily looking and saying, I got a lot of holes in my game. The one thing I'll give Tyler, you know, full credit for is he recognized, Hey, I'm not satisfied with being a scorer at junior. I want to take the next step. And so really what we tried to create was a higher percentage habit base in his movements and, you know, I don't know if that's something that I've, I've sort of become known for or have taken the challenge of. I just think history shows when you do those things and create higher habit-based, higher percentage habit-based in terms of how you move, you know, there's some real recognition by the skater that, hey, I'm getting the spots that I need to get to and I'm climbing to the levels that I want to climb. And so, you know, he put the work in and that was the biggest part was developing those habits. Pat, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate the development segment and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That's Pat Malloy, player development coach. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio right after this.
Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our, this is our uh, Scouts Perspective Spotlight with Jason Bukloff from Sportsnet, a former director of amateur scouting as well. Uh, this topic this week is really interesting is decision strategy on sending, oh, oh, actually building a midterm draft list. Now, as in we're sitting into January, all the NHL teams have had their amateur scouting meetings. Uh, they have cut their list down to the number of players that they're going to start focusing on specifically for the NHL draft at the beginning of the year. Obviously that number is much, much higher, but at some point you got to get her down to a manageable level, Jason, and start to figure out who are the people that, players that we're going to start prioritizing and then how many views do you need for each one of those players talk about that process when you were a director amateur scouting of you know what was what was it like cutting that down and then ensuring that each one of your well obviously your regional scouts but then all your crossover guys that you get enough views in and you focus on the players also specifically that you know fit what you value because each initial team values different skill sets or different mental and emotional attributes differently. Yeah. So obviously an important time of the year, Shane. And, and when you bring everybody together, the first thing you have to do when you're managing a meeting of this scale with players from around the world is make sure that everybody in the room has a voice. Like everybody has to feel part of the process and clearly every territory uh, minds, different levels of talent and, you know, there's more value in certain pockets uh, year over year. I mean, it could be Finland this year. It could be the Western Hockey League uh, next year. You know what I mean? Like, it just rotates its way through. So you have to give your guys a voice in the room. And and certainly myself as a director or my crossover guys, they would have laid eyes on the top three or four round guys in all those districts by now. And they assist with the process. But um, the, the long story here, uh, as we have a few minutes, is that uh, – we literally break up uh, every territory worldwide and uh, give everybody an opportunity to speak on, on their territory. Um, I would chair the meeting, but at the same time, really just uh, take a listen and we would build um, a list out of certain territories. So if you look at Minnesota high school and the USHL and USA in general, so, you know, our scout would speak to that territory 
and we would have, um, you know, a list that comes out of that. He would come to the meeting with maybe 75 guys on that list, but realistically we're walking out of there with 20 guys on that list. If that makes sense, you know, because you can't have, you can identify 75, but this isn't central scouting. This is NHL, uh, you know, draft preparation scouting. So obviously we have to get to the cream of the crop. So, uh, we might come out of that territory with 20 guys and, you know, you work your way around the world and everybody has a chance to speak. And then what you have is a grid that runs across the top of your meeting wall, if you will. Um, it's all, you know, interactive. And um, you start to then pluck the top guy out of every, every territory. So the number one guy in the Ontario League compared to the number one guy in the Western League compared to the number one guy in Finland compared to the number one guy in the USHL. Okay, it's this guy. Move him over. Then a guy moves up in that territory because you moved one out and now you start moving. Okay. Now take a look at it. Who's the next guy. Now it's got a little bit more science and accuracy in the top two rounds. I would suggest at this time of year, but after that it gets very muddy and it's dangerous to slot securely guys into, you know, draft slot 65 and say he's 65th on our list. I mean, that's a dangerous thing because then you might not view him enough in the back half of the season. And he might end up being, you know, the 40th best guy in the draft or the 35th best guy in the draft. Cause there's a lot of runways still out there. So um, the top of the draft is a little bit more, uh, you know, secure in uh, the number system, if you will, one through whatever 40. And then after that, you kind of start slotting guys in and priority so that you start to get priority viewings in the back half. Jason, when do you start going from, trying to say, let's give an example right now, going from, say, Matthew Mitchkoff to Adam Cotillion, arguing between your staff where where specifically they should be uh, in, like, say, a head-to-head situation versus Leo Carlson. When do you go from that type of discussion to more, okay, let's lump and get these tier ranges figured out. Let's just get these guys in the right tier ranges. What, what When is that uh, how does that work? And can you talk about the time management aspect of it? Because I think some people might be surprised how difficult it can be to manage the time correctly. Yeah. So if you take a, uh, your crossover guys and, and people like myself, we're less, um, I'm less uh, concerned about the argument, which is the draft slot. If it's Carlson second, Fantilli second, you know, Mitchkoff third, fourth, it, it doesn't matter to me. Like it, at, at this time of year, it's the top of the draft and it is what it is. So we recognize that in the first couple of rounds, we're going to have to get multiple viewings on those players anyways. So you can't go in with a bias and saying he's the second best guy on our draft list because, you know, Bedard's an anomaly. We already know that. And then after that, it, it becomes, you know, let's let's just go in with an open mind for the next three months. And here's the thing. Some guys are going to end up at world championships. Some guys are going to go deep into a major junior playoffs. Some guys are going to be eliminated early and may not have a chance to be at world championships. So if you've got a guy like, let's just say Fantilli, um, if Fantilli uh, and Michigan um, get eliminated in the, you know, uh, early in, in college playoffs, well, he's not having an opportunity unless he goes to men's worlds to play at the U18s, right? Cause he's a draft. He's a late birthday. So, um, you know, when you factor in that, you have to set your schedule based on the amount of viewings you can get on that player now, because worst case scenario, he's only got so many games left. So don't get all wrapped up in one, two, three, four, five, six. Look at the schedule, look at the lay of the land, the potential for multiple viewings, and then set your schedule. Do you find when you're in sort of the January meetings, it's just more helpful to have guys in, as Brad said, just into groupings? You know, and just make, prioritize, okay, how many guys have we seen? What do we prioritize in terms of the player? Like, is he the style of player that we 
preference? Does he have the skill sets that we preference? Because every NHL team is a little bit different how they weight and value certain things or, you know, mental attributes, emotional attributes. Sometimes teams will value that in a different way. Is that the time where you start to focus that a little bit more too as well? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're if you're in my position, for example, um, let's be honest, you're probably only going to really passionately know the top four rounds of the draft. There's only so much a guy like me can do around the world and see so much. So in the back half of the uh, list building, if you will, uh, at this time, you're identifying potential prospects for the year end meetings. Um, you really rely on your regional guys uh, to hit the mark on certain players. So, it, you know, we've always heard it like in baseball, you know, when you hear like about a five tool player, for example, well, Clearly, when you get later in the draft, they're not, they don't have five tools. They know, might have one. <laughs> exactly. They were, you know, they're not a first or second round pick. So, um, if you start off with certain things like a relentless competes, uh, skating, hockey IQ, obviously skill, and then, um, you know, three zone uh, acumen, uh, recognizing how to play the game in all three zones with versatility, because you could be a high-end point producer in college hockey or Minnesota high school or wherever you are. I don't care where you are in the world. But, you know, if you're a fourth or fifth-round pick, um, you're going to have to do other things very well. Sorry, there's an announcement here in the airport. But uh, uh, you're going to have to do other things very well. So you better start ticking off one or two of those uh, those boxes, Shane. Uh, the very first one being that you better be able to think it and think it at a high rate and be exceptionally competitive because – there's no room for non-compete uh, in the NHL as a prospect. Are you like me where I obviously all the independent scouting departments have to put out lists. I know uh, Bob and, and Craig and the guys at TSN and you guys at Sportsnet, you know, with Sam have to put out lists because you got to feed that animal of the general public. But when I, I just try to ignore it completely i don't want to see other people's lists i don't like it's not that they're not have they don't they're not valued or that these people don't do a good job it's just i find it just creates like this messy bias in your mind so i just it's basically i want to put blinders on and just ignore the whole thing and go i'm sure it's great but i'm just gonna do my best to not look at it well so i'm gonna i'm gonna disappoint you then with that statement and i'm getting a chuckle out of it because you're not wrong i mean it's it's one of those um you know, you're having a coffee in an airport somewhere and, and you can pull up and there's 25 different types of lists. And obviously people value different people more than others. And you're absolutely right. You start creating a bias outside of your own opinion. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a little dangerous. Um, but a week from actually, I think it's this Thursday, my list at Sportsnet for the first time is going to get published. And um, the one thing that I will say that's different um, from the way you just described it is um you know, uh, Craig does an awesome job at TSN, Sammy at Sports Center. Um, some of those guys that they see, or primarily how they build their list, they also they collect information, right? From so they'll call the Shane Malloys of the world and say, "Hey, what do you think of this guy?" Or you know, whoever they're, you know, a, a scout, they might get a secondary opinion. Well, I don't do it like that. I'm actually publishing it just based on boots on the ground myself, seeing all these players. And so it's it's I'm not going to say it's a take it or leave it, but what I, my job is to give you an insight into how I see players, how we, and it's similar to how we, we saw it in Florida when, when I start to uh, publish my list. So um, I'm anxious to see how, uh, 
how many people carve me up when they see my list. <laughs> well, get ready for that because it happens. It happens in this industry. So you'll, yeah, don't you got? I'm sure you have thick skin, so you'll be okay. But they'll yeah, come I, for you. They'll come for you hard. So, but Jason, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show again. We really appreciate the insight of that topic, and look forward to speaking to you next week. Okay, Brad. See you, Shane. See you, Brad. That's Jason Buchler. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There's no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat stats video editing tools visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information instat the institute of statistics the junior prospect hockey league is western canada's newest elite developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level the jphl features professional coaches and skill development coaches along with comprehensive practice game and academic schedule allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs to learn more and see why the jphl is the ideal choice for your student athlete and family visit juniorprospectshockeyleague.com Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in power by Instat Hockey, often the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're now going to talk about the New York Islanders prospects. So one of the interesting things when you look at their prospect pool is they've traded away a lot of first-round picks lately. So there's a lot of focus on the second-rounders. A lot of focus on the third rounders. There's going to be a lot of focus on developing those players to ensure that they play in the NHL. Otherwise, you're trying to backfill in other areas, and that's not terribly efficient thing to do as a general manager or a management staff with the New York Islanders. So right off the hop, let's talk about Cali Odulius, who they got in the later second round. Now, on my list, I don't recall where you had him on your personal list, but I had him a little bit higher than where they had him. If I remember, look at it correctly, they had him... Six, they got him at 65, which is much lower than I had. So, and I sort of projected him a little bit higher in terms of, like, if you're taking a player there, you're sort of looking at a five, kind of in that range, right? Four, five, five, depending. Um, and I had him a little bit more of a more of a solid four, so I had him a little higher on the list. So, thoughts on, like, recall when we talked about him last year at the draft, but also what you sort of project him as being moving forward now that he's got a little bit of time in his draft plus one season. Well, I'll start off by saying that he was the one, one of the defensemen last year I felt really dropped from where I expect him to go. I, I had him going the late forties, early fifties. Yeah. Maybe we're, mid-40s we're, to, yeah. We were sort of like mid, mid forties. We were about the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had him, I think in my top 32, but he was a B range, uh, you know, for our, for our listeners, just because he, the way that we operate is you, you have usually 18, 19, 20 A's, which are first rounders. And then you get from 20 to 32, there is usually B's and that's your second round. And then after that, you get to that third round area. So uh, the thing with Cali Adelius, uh, we have a unique perspective on him from the sense that he's in your garden system. 
And uh, I, I have a close personal friend who, who works on that staff, uh, a former scout of ours at Hockey Prospect, Johan Carlson. So uh, it gives us intel, right? It allows us to understand the the nuances of the player at a little better rate. The, the thing that really stands out about Adilius and why I'm sh- very surprised he dropped is that when you look at NHL staffs and how they operate, one huge thing with defensemen is very important. It's the reason they get dropped hires. The athletic base needs to be there. Right. We have to have we we just talked with Pat about skating athleticism, right? Postural athleticism. You need posture. You need athleticism. You can't. You can have a winger like Tyler Toffoli who can skate. Uh, you know, not the fastest player, but but operates at a high rate. Defenders, you need to be able to skate. There's no in the new NHL. You're not dealing with the Seattle Crack and the New Jersey Devils. You're not dealing with Connor McDavid flying down a wing if you can't right. skate. 100%. Doesn't matter about your anticipation. You're not going to be able to deal with it. So. Kelly Dillies has that athletic base that every NHL team covets. So I was I was a bit surprised. Now the reason he he I think went a little later why the Islanders managed to grab him is because if you if you take a 12 game sample of him, you could be all over the map in the terms of the consistency rates. Two games well, sure. he looks otherworldly in terms of his of how uh, clean his exits are, how efficient he is as a puck mover, the maturity is playing, his defensive coverage, his ability to move up the ice and activate at the right times. I mean, so, okay, this is a pro. Like, this is a good-looking prospect. You take another three, four games, puck management is bad. He's not reading the game as well. His processing speed looks like it's delayed. His he's trying to, rates well, are going he's, down. He's either trying to hurry it up or he's trying to slow it down in, in those respects, and that's what I saw as well. And the one thing that I, to add to that that I, I try to remind myself is they're 17 to 18 years old, and they're consistently inconsistent, and they are primarily till they get into their early 20s. So once you're okay with that, it's okay. Like they're actually supposed to be like that. That's the norm. Then you can go back and go, okay, now we recognize what you had mentioned. Now he doesn't do it consistently, but it's there. Like you recognize the hockey sense. You recognize the athletic skating base. Okay. How long is it going to take us to get him to be that consistent player? And then where does he, where's the ceiling and where's his floor? And I didn't think he had a really high ceiling, but I thought he had a pretty high floor which is why I sort of had him in that range. You and I had a, had him in a similar range. Yeah. It, you know, the, the ceiling debate is about the shooting ability of him. He's not a, he's not a high end shooter. He, he never has no. him though. But when you look at how he operates, he does it in, in the way that you need to with the modern game. So what I mean by that is when he gets the puck, the first instinct he has is how he can set up some sort of deception, either a partial exaggerated fake, an off look, some sort of skating deception. Like as he handles the puck, he could use a lateral cutback. Then he, then he pivots, then he starts and stops. He makes sure his lanes are adjusted. He does everything he needs to do in order to create space for himself by manipulating the first layer essentially is what i'm saying and that applies when he's retrieving and applies when he's in the neutral zone and applies when he's in at the offensive line from that perspective that's a good quality in terms of the fact that he'll be able to slow down the game so that say he theoretically he's not as consistent as you need with his adaptive processing ability well if he can be deceptive enough it bypasses that quality to a degree it gives him a bit more room to work with um that said I think you hit you hit it. The offensive ceiling is not so high. And because of that, as a scout, what you do is you're weighing his defense, defensive efficiency. But that was inconsistent. And that, in turn, drops him. That gets people a little worried, right? So that's, I think, part of it. Um, that said, I, I think, you know, with Adilius, what's really interesting is usually when you have drops like that with an athletic defenseman who really does look like it a pro at times with his peak performances, uh, he was in your garden system. All eyes were on your garden the whole season because of how many 
top end caliber players that, were in that right. on that team. And that's Liam like being Ogren, a pro- Jonathan Lekaramaki, right? All these players. So. It's like being a, in a prospect in the Ontario Hockey League. You're exactly. gonna get you're gonna get overcovered. You're, you're all exactly, and that's exactly it. So that that's I was gonna lead into to rap you with that, <laughs> but that's exactly what might have happened here. Is I think Adilius might have gotten uh, cooked, but just left in the oven a little too long with the amount of viewings people had of him. It does happen. It happens to me. It happens to everybody. Sure. But uh, I'll be honest. You know, there's one of those situations where that's why we wish we could get teams on. Is like I, you know, I'm I'm trying to universally sweep this whole 2023 draft. It's not like I've had a ton of viewings of Adilius this year or been able to focus in on him. So I'll, yeah. I'll be honest with you from a development perspective. I don't know how his development is going, but I can tell you I, I got at least 15 games of him last season, and I do get to see him live uh, towards March here, which will give me, yeah. mu- or sorry, in mid-April, so it will give me a much better indicator of where he is. Um, so maybe I'll get to get to update our listeners then. I'm the but, same. Um, the base is good. He's athletic. When he's playing a pro game, he's physical. He's a multi-dimensional defender. He understands how to incorporate deception. He bypasses that first layer, as I, as I mentioned. And it gives him a lot of variation and versatility. What is he as a pro? Probably, in my estimation, at least a third-pairing insulator. I think he plays. Uh, but again, I don't know his development yet. So I'll be able to answer that much better here at the end of the season. Yeah, and I'm not quite – like this is a smaller sample size this year to really give me a better indication of where he's moving. Um, like it just sort of sl- helps solidify that mindset. Uh, we got about three minutes left in this segment. Uh, we should talk about Atu Ratu. I want to note as we're recording this segment that the New York Islanders have traded Atu Ratu to the Vancouver Canucks as well. In ter- and he was another guy who was like, I think, maligned a lot only because he got so yes. many views. You get so many views on a guy, and then there's like a narrative built about him. And if he doesn't build that narrative, is it the player's fault or is it the people who are assessing that player? Is it their fault? And sometimes in life, you're the problem, right? Not the player. You're the problem. And I think that's his case. That was a case about him because when he's, you know, in the games that I've got to watch him in the American League and some limited games, obviously, with the New York Islanders, I think what you saw initially was there. It was just inconsistent. And you just had to be patient with a guy like this. And we talked about that in this draft season. Yeah, Atu Ratu, all eyes were on him because going in the season, he was considered a projected top three pick. So the expectation from that is going to supersede uh, your, your ranking of him in the sense that if you get a couple of bad performances, you're going to you're going to really drop him. You're like, yeah. hang on, this was supposed to be an elite player. Look at this, right? That happens. Believe me, I think it happened. To, to, I, I had internal debates quite a bit we, about this. We player just with, talked with to Jason Buchla about that. Exactly. We just talked about it. And yeah. I, I told Mark, I think you're dropping him too low. I get that he's not been half the player he's supposed to be, but let's let's meet halfway. Right. So right. I, I put him in my mid 30s in my ranking. I think Mark ended up putting him in the 50s, which obviously is already to, to be, to be honest, too late because he's already getting some games. And we'll see long term. We'll see. But the, the big thing with that to Ratu is I go back to Elias Pedersen's uh, uh, situation last year with uh, under green relative to Boudreaux. Look how Pedersen performed when his confidence was shattered. Didn't look like half the player he actually is. Look at look at uh, Pistol Pete there in the second half of last season relative to that first half. And now look at him now. Right. Yeah. That when 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 a player's confident, they're a completely different specimen on the ice. They're not the same player. Atu Ratu came up publicly, publicly to, I think, try to alleviate pressure that was placed on him in media and said, I'm not half the player I am right now. I'm not, I'm not doing well with the pressure. I'm not handling it correctly. And that absolutely 
was what was displayed last season. So right. in those situations, from a scouting perspective, what you do, you draw from his minus one. Go back and see if there were things that did make him more projectable in that top five, six, seven range that people thought initially, right? And that's that's where I was trying to, to well, get Mark to meet me halfway because his playmaking was way more efficient. He was much more dynamic playmaker last season than he was in his draft year. And I also like the recognition from the player that, wait a minute, I'm not handling this pr- this pressure effectively or the stress that's coming in on me effectively. I recognize it. I'm going to seek out help. I'm going to get better at it. Then that's going to help my performance. To me, that like that flashes a light to me. Like, oh, wait a minute, because you could be the opposite and doesn't recognize. Oh, absolutely. It. No, it, it's it was uh, surprising to be honest. I, I wonder how his agent thought of that when it happened, uh, but it was good. I, I don't think it's a negative thing. It allowed no. him to settle down. He had a much better plus one uh, uh, after his draft than he than he did during his draft season. There's a lot to like. The, the big thing with him is that people. A lot of people in the industry, uh, you know, publicly have difficulty recognizing skating ability. Yeah. And that was the big thing. Either if you thought he was a really good skater, then you put him really high. If you didn't, then you drop him quite a bit. And I think that's what happened. Well, Brad, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about the New York Islanders prospects right after this. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Speaking with Brad Allen about the New York Islanders prospects as we finish off the Islanders for the season. Let's talk about Simon Holmstrom because one of the things I'm really – I do like about the Islanders prospect pool. They don't have a lot of first round picks, as we mentioned before, they traded a lot of their first round picks away is the second round picks that they do get their bigger bodies. And Simon Holmstrom is one of them, a guy that, you know, you look at guys that have some versatility in their game, some guys who can play in different positions around, you know, either the left or the right-hand side, which Holmstrom can do move up around the lineup, got a bigger body, more playoff style, of, of a player. And I think that's where Simon Holmstrom, if I look at him, he's kind of like that, almost like a kind of a prototypical third line player that you want in the playoffs. That's a guy that coach is going to throw over the boards and he's going to be able to trust him to grind out minutes to like, we're going to like, you're going to put the body, not in a hard way, but you're going to lean on guys. You're going to make it difficult. You're going to make the other opposition work really hard and you're going to wear them out. 
And that's what Holmstrom does. And when he get worn out, that's where he gets those opportunities around the net. Like I, I love when he just goes into the corners or cycles along the wall or goes in front of the net. I think that's just where his bread and butter really is. And I'm, I'm looking forward. I saw some games with him at the Islanders this year and then some games in Bridgeport. And I actually, I thought he played better with the Islanders because I think it's just a little bit more structured. Of course, it, the AHL is not quite as structured. There's a little bit more chaos. I think Simon kind of really tends to play more effectively when there's more structure around him than he, when he knows other people are where they're supposed to be. Yeah, well, it, the thing with Simon's, you remember in his draft season initially, he was hurt for most of it. Right. You know, he had yeah. a bad injury. And so when you look at it from a development perspective, you give him a little more leeway with, with where he is. Uh, I totally agree with you. I think he's one of those depth, versatile, versatile types of forwards, Swiss Army knife style player. Uh, and I also agree that I think, I think the secret for him to unlock his success at the NHL level is something you alluded to where he, he plays well down low. He knows, he knows how to get to the, the dirty areas. He knows how to get along the walls and work along the walls. My thing is I need to see him a little more efficient with his puck management when he's coming off the walls. Right. And if he can get that, cause he has a good base, good toolkit, right? Everything's uh, grades out about above average. Um, so He's not the highest uh, finisher. His execution rates will never be that high, which is why I think you're you're right with the depth role prognosis with him. I I don't think he'll have the finishing touch um, to ever be more than, say, theoretically a 30, 35-point player. But you mentioned that doesn't mean he's not useful, and there are qualities that are meant for playoff hockey. And what the main one, I use it a lot when I discuss prospects, I'll use it now, is that he has the capacity – theoretically to generate weighted minutes on opposing defensemen at high rates. And that's what you want. You want players can force other defensemen to work at a high rate because it drains them during playoff hockey. That's more important because when you look at overtime games, that starts to really matter because defensemen start making mistakes when they fatigue. You want a defenseman to fatigue, you get them to play weighted minutes. You get them to play weighted minutes by finding players like Simon Holmes. Right. And the other factor is I find players like him tend to, produce at a higher points per game in the playoffs than they do in the regular season. Like he's a guy who might even be able to match what he does in the playoffs as he does. in there's usually there's a drop off, but Simon's the type of player where we saw it in guys like, you know, in Rafi Torres, when he was playing with the Edmonton Oilers, you know, his points would be at a certain level and he'd maintain it through the playoffs because he just thrived in that kind of chaos of that, that more nasty style of play where I think Simon's going to be able to handle that too. And there are some Swedes like that, you know, that we see in the past, like the Johan Franzens of the world who just continue to play at the same rate. And that's where I think Simon could develop into that guy who gets you 35 points a year, maybe 40 on a third line and, but still puts up half a point a game in the playoffs through, you know, a couple rounds because he gets the goals or gets the points where it's the greasiest right up front. Yeah. Right. You know, he's not going to do a Danny Breer style. <laughs> it's just no. he's out killing everybody and gets in that, that zone, the, the famous Breer zone during the playoffs. But, but you're right. He, he's good, good comp uh, in terms of, um, well, from a Franzen perspective, I mean, Franzen always had that incredible shot, right? That, right. that was different. The release was there where uh, Holmstrom, as you mentioned, the jam, right? He's going to have to do it more net front. He's going to have to do it more nitty gritty, dirty goals. Uh, that said, he can still make some high end plays off the rush and 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 use his base. Uh, the the big thing with with Simon is from his draft season, one thing that he used when he was in the J twenty to his advantage was he would he understood his space 
well. He had good spatial recognition. So what that allowed him to do is when he cut corners on defensemen, he recognized the time that he had to make uh, lateral passing plays to his teammates in high-danger areas. What's happened to him is that everybody else has gotten a little faster too, and so he's had to adjust. And so it's all about him getting a, a, a more of a rhythmic timing to when he needs to slow down and readjust on the fly so he can be more of a threat in transition. Because we've, we've talked a lot about more of the cycle, download game that he presents. Um, but if he, if he can become more adaptable in transition, I think that the, maybe there's more there. I think that will be another, another key to him having a successful NHL career. Let's talk about another second-round pick of the New York Islanders and Robin Sala, who's now 24. And um, this is usually around the age where we start to drop players off the show because they're getting too, you know, farther along in their development. At that point, they're starting to become NHL players or career AHL players. What I liked about Robin Sallow's game is that he's just a, a bit of a glue guy for the defense when it comes to, like, I think he's a guy that you could fit somewhere in that, that number five kind of hole for mm-hmm. the Islanders long-term because he can do a lot of different things. He's like almost like the Simon Holmstrom of defense where he has some versatility in his game. And if you had to move him up to pair with a more skilled defenseman, I think he could do that, but he could play back and play lesser minutes and just, just be efficient. Like there's nothing really sexy about him as a defenseman, but I like his efficiency and I like, he just doesn't make critical errors. And I think for a coaching staff, you want a defenseman out there that you can just, you don't have to worry about. He's just not going to make these gaffes with the pucks or gaffes gaffes defensively to create, you know, offensive opportunities for the opposition. Yeah. He's a pretty interesting player that admittedly, I think I got pretty wrong in terms of my projection in his his draft season. And the reason I say that is because uh, what I saw in my, in my views, and admittedly I get a lot more views now than I did back then, just the nature of the the technology we have now. And uh, when, when you looked at him back in his initial draft season, he did play a, a more of a clean, mature game. That was the real selling point. But I thought he was a very bland player. Yeah, he was vanilla. I didn't think – he's very vanilla, very vanilla. And I bring that up because uh, although I didn't have 20 games of him, uh, in the five games I did have, you know, nothing really stood out ever offensively to me, even though at that time he was playing up, I believe, in Liga. uh, And he was very young when he was doing it. So because of that, you don't see much offense. Well, now, I mean, I get – Correct me if I'm wrong, Shane. I don't, I don't have anything in front of me. Was it Malmo he was playing over uh, when he was loaned in, in the SHL? Uh, uh, yes, I believe year? so. Okay. Yeah, so, so, no, no, it I, was O'Barrell. O'Barrell. Okay. Because yeah. I'm thinking jerseys. I know it's red and black. Yeah. <laughs> Rebro or Malmo. So, when he was in a Rebro system, one thing that I noticed when I did see him there was wow, did he ever develop offensively? Like, you, you know, we talked about with Cali Adilius, you're looking at that first phase to be a deceptive phase when he's cut, when he's carrying the puck. And that's exactly what he's incorporating in his game. He knows how to lane readjust. He knows to create multiple options for himself. He's actually very threatening from the line. That's what I took away from when he was, when he was alone there. So you take clean, you take efficient, and then you take newfound offense. And that looked like a very translatable player. The missing element to him, it's always been a little frustrating, to be honest with you, is when you look at, um, uh, certain player types, I always bring up that you want a, a, a variation in the defense, meaning you don't want a defender just to defend one way, meaning like stick on puck defense, managing your gap. You'll take it if you have to. So, so Tim Bernie comes to mind as a player that's incredible right. with that. But that's yeah. mostly what he is. Uh, but now Tim Bernie's developed the physicality to go with it, and that's what is a, part of it is what allowed Tim to really stick with Columbus. That's still missing with this player. That's what he is. He's a bit for me too soft. There's a softness to him. He needs to be. He needs to keep the motor at a higher level. He's a smart player, but he needs to. 
what happens is sometimes with defense is if you have a cerebral defenseman, they can they can they, there's a fine line between being too cerebral and overthinking a, a, a situation when you just need to take a body. You need to just yeah. drive a player into a wall. You need to make sure you're hard to play against in this specific moment, this specific time. That is the the I think the missing factor in Salo's game in terms of development. But the offense has really come, so it's very interesting to see. I think he's only one step away. I think I think uh, the Islanders have a good one there. I, I really think Salo could play a long a long time in the NHL if he can get for me a little bit more sandpaper in his game. Yeah, just to close out uh, the first hour here and talk a little bit about Sal. Sometimes I've noticed this with European defensemen, particularly when they're young and they play at the elite level, whether they be being playing the Liga or the SHL or the extra league in the Czech Republic. Doesn't I mean doesn't matter? Is that sometimes they're always deferring to their older older defensive partner? Um, they don't want to make mistakes, so their offensive like instincts are there. They just don't utilize it. They just don't utilize those opportunities. They always kind of pull back and you're always wanting more. And sometimes you're a, a subject of the environment you're in. So, so I, I always have to remind myself, okay, what is the coach asking them to do? Don't blame the player because he may be just doing what he needs to do to stay in the lineup and play. So from that perspective, that's why sometimes we see this offense blossom later in those respects from that standpoint so it's fun to see as well so but we're going to take a quick break on hockey prospect radio the end of hour one stay for hour two we'll be back right after these important messages instat hockey offers the largest data and video library of players teams and leagues worldwide trusted by leagues teams coaches and scouts at every level of the game there is no better choice than instat to help in the areas of evaluation development and exposure for your brand they're Unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hour 2 and brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. Brad and I are going to talk about the 2003 NHL Draft a little bit of an overview. Um, we will dabble into a few players. Uh, we'll, we're going to talk about lists being built uh, independently and put out into the public sphere as well. And we did mention that a little bit jokingly with uh, Jason Buchla, because I know he's putting out his list because that's the nature of working for a network, a media network. They want that. Um, however, it's not necessarily conducive to making that accurate uh obviously by the end of the year creates biases amongst a whole other things. That's another discussion that we could get into, but I want to ask you about 
the narratives and the over, our overarching of this NHL draft. Cause I always find it um, a little bit amusing when you hear people say, Oh, it's a deep draft or it's this at this point, or it's this at this point when we're sitting in January and we have really four more months, maybe five, depending if they play in the world championships of hockey left, like of legitimate hockey that we have to watch. So how can those themes be developed at such an early point and talk a little bit about sort of the overarching aspect of this upcoming draft. Yeah. Well, to your point, uh, I will talk about it, but you're right. It's the mid midpoint of the year. I'm going to be probably looking at this a little differently by the end point. Right. Um, so the first thing I'll say is like, you know, you see online, you see a ton of people, they discuss, well, is it shallow? Is it deep? And that seems to be it. Like, okay. It's either a shallow class. There's nothing really good at the top. That usually means, or it's a deep class because the top four or five guys are stacked. And that means well, there's a domino that, effect. Right. And that's right? a binary it's, thinking. Uh, it's either or right. It's black. It's, or exactly. White. It's very binary. And that's the world we live thinking. in. That's the world we live in when it comes to scouting. You you get that black and white. And it doesn't work Uh, that way. I don't know. I don't know what this draft class is going to look like at this point in time. I don't know legitimately. And if people say they do know, like I'm really interested to like peer inside of their brain to see how they figure out ambiguity and known unknowns and, you know, the chaos that, you know, is happens when you're trying to evaluate and collect all that data. Yeah. Well, it's, to your point, it, it uh, sometimes it's totally subjected to change. Like, for instance, uh, the 2022 class, I thought by the midpoint, uh, it was relatively average. And I thought that by the end of the year, it was one of the better classes I've scouted in the last decade. And so you just never, right? And now right. COVID definitely played a part of that in terms of development uh, structure of, of some of these kids. A lot of late charging, you know, that we talk about, charging. especially defensemen, right? A lot of late chargers, right? right? You know, everywhere, every position that draft. Yeah. But uh, my, my point is, you know, if you look at 2018 till now, right, five years of, of, of drafting, going in, I thought 2018 was was a very good class, and it stayed that way basically the whole year. It was one of those almost static drafts where there was not a ton of ebbs and flows in terms of what I thought about, uh, if I would call it weak, average, moderate, or very strong. I just thought it was a very strong class and just kept getting, uh, stayed that way. 2019 class, well, that was all over the map. I thought it was strong. I thought it was weak, uh, somewhere in the middle. Um you know, and, and it goes on and on. A lot of people thought the 2021 class was one of the worst classes uh, since uh, the Sedin, the Sedin twin draft. And in 99, I, yeah. In 99. And I, I said, you know, early, I, I, I would tell anyone who would listen to me, I said, well, I don't think it's that bad. There's a lot more depth than people think. It's not that high end uh, in a specific range after you get past the first seven, eight players and yep. go to 32. But there's and we a talked lot about depth that after that. Yeah, a lot of depth. Yeah, and some people came around to me and said, "Hey, Brad, you know what? You're right. Some of these guys, some of these players. I'm not always right. By the way, I just thought about Robin Salo. I was wrong on him. I'll be wrong on many other things. But I, I was. I think I was. I was accurate in saying that based off of where they were and how some of these players have developed. Uh, but this draft is very strange, and that's why I want to bring it up. So you have this elite top end, right? You got that phenom in Bedard. Then I think you have unbelievable talent in Mitchkov and Leo Carlson. And uh, you, you look at Andrew Kristall, Will Smith, and uh, obviously Fentili with the toolkit. There, there's a whole lot to like. Uh, we'll talk about another player here who I think is going to be a very good top pairing defenseman in Dmitry Stimashev. Um, and then after that, once you get out of those first 12, 13 players, I find this class is extremely weak. Like it just cliff dive weak. From like 13 to about 35, I have a lot of trouble 
with making my list because I feel everybody's eight, nine, ten spots too too far See, ahead. And that's right. And that's what makes us laugh. And that's why I was t- we were talking with Jason about not putting together lists at the midpoints of seasons because of the missing gaps of information. And you're just getting like more views of crossover and catching a lot of people and how that can create a bias or build a narrative and a theme that all of a sudden now you got to try to shake that as you're collecting data. And then as you're analyzing right at the, at the end before you have to put your list together. So that's where I always look. That's why I was, I found it was just so dangerous to do it. And I stopped doing it. Um, and I try to block out like other people's lists because I don't like, I even put signposts along when I'm collecting data, just to remind myself, Hey, it's like, it's noise, ignore it. Right. But yeah, that's absolutely. Part of the, the, main, the main thing is to stay aware, right. Stay very yeah. aware of what you just said. And uh, for, like what I do as a universal sweeper, seeing as many players as I do, I have to be extremely aware that when I look back in five years, I mean, some of that top 10 is even going to look completely out of order. Right. And that's it's 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 a hard pill to swallow in some ways uh, when it when it comes to projectability. Um, but but one thing I will say about this class that is strange, it, it's not too common. Uh, is that when you get past the 13 to 35 where I'm uncomfortable, I find there's a lot of depth. So there's a lot of strange uh, players that have a lot of potential if development goes correctly, right? That they have a couple of those traits that you're looking for that can make them NHLers, but they're further out, especially a lot of them are physically underdeveloped, uh, which is usually a telltale sign of a player when you look back and you go, why wasn't he higher? It's because they're physically underdeveloped. Well, that's this class for me when you look from 40 to 70 right now uh, so that's kind of an interesting note the other aspect is this is the worst defensive class still i mean i said this earlier in the season i'll say it again because now i'm feeling much more comfortable with it maybe again i'll change my mind at the end this is a very very weak defensive class as a whole this class is really weak and what that means is that you're either going to have to take a couple defenders higher than you'd want to because you need that positionally or you trade the picks because you're like well we have we have enough in these positions at offense, we don't like anything else here in terms of the offensive range. There's no defenders we're moving out. Or in my case, as, as somebody who does scout goalies, this is the deepest goalie class. So it's so weird. So weakest defensive class, strongest goalie class, elite top end, wonkiness in the middle, depth. That's and where I'm, I'm at <laughs> from a scouting perspective. And it's very strange. And so I just want to talk to her. Well, I mean, and, and it's what, basically, what I mean, seeing. what you're saying is, okay, this is what I have observed to this point. Yeah, right. This point. And then when you, this is subject to change. Absolutely. Right. Of course. So you got a mushy middle, you got a top end, a mushy middle, um, not a lot of depth, of def- not a lot of talent, depth of defense, and then a bunch of goal and a bunch of potential goalies. So like, like what I like about it is like at this point, like you don't know how the theme is going to continue to develop, because no. But the 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 idea of saying this is that I wanted to bring it up because it's a unique one. I haven't seen this in a draft yet. Um, and the and the other uh, the uh, point of it is this this is such a unique year for goalies. I'm very curious to see where they where the domino starts because I think when one goes, you get that run. Right. And what that means is if there's a lot of teams that go and pry and take these top end goalies relatively early in the top 40, 50 picks, say, well, that means that there should be theoretically a couple of extremely impressive wingers and, and centers and forwards that are, I don't say defense for a reason, for forwards available that the team can pick relatively later than you would in some other classes just because of the goalie depth. That said, you know, from the NHL perspective, this is the first year I think. Uh, 
and it's warranted that there's a bit of worry about where exactly you take the goalie again because wow has it been volatile it's been very volatile this year you never know what you're getting life is well, a I mean, that's a, that's for the goalie position this season it's but been how, very strange. but how much of that is based on we had COVID for the last three years and there was limited time to, for ice development was like skewed, you know, like you would, they just weren't in a regular schedule of development and playing. And we, we just didn't know how it was going to affect the immediate two draft classes, but then how was it going to affect the 2023, maybe the 2024, right? Because it's all cumulative, right? Like even my young yeah, sons, absolutely. they pretty much missed a year of hockey because of mm-hmm. that. And that's what ends yeah, up happening, right? Because they got in and out, in and out. So, yeah, they're like going to be, def- you know, behind in some of that perspective. So that's no different than, you know, there's going to be some after effect that we just don't know how that's going to impact these draft classes, which I think causes a little bit more of uncertainty and unknown. So, and this is where I like, I really emphasize and we talk about that is just like, don't analyze while well, you're still in data collection mode. Particularly with, we know that defensemen, in many cases, will tend to charge late. Particularly if it's their first year in junior, or their first year in college, or their first year in Alsvenskan, right? It's always like there's an like adaptability aspect of this, and then they're going to push hard as they go through, you know, after Christmas. So that's always like we always we we you know we make that subject, and it appears at this time maybe the defense in this draft class is a little bit weaker. But, eh, you know, maybe we'll not. We'll see, we'll see. right? This is why I always say, like I say this to Russ Cohen, my, our old co-host, is like the ball keeps bouncing, right? Like it always keeps bouncing. So don't get like don't, certainty's dangerous and it will like mess you up badly, right? Just be careful with that out there when you're trying to make decisions because it's uh, burned Brad and I on multiple occasions. Uh, but we should take a quick break on Hockey Prospect Radio, and we'll be back right after this. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back empowered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking for to take their game and studies to the next level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. I'm now speaking 
with Dave Poulin, former NHL executive and TSN analyst. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, This is going to be a new segment called Behind the Curtain. So we're going to take a peek behind management strategies and different concepts and what type of scenarios that management groups get um, find themselves in as it relates to player development and, and different aspects of uh, scouting and those type of uh, scenarios, which I find really fascinating. So Dave, thanks for coming on the show and agreeing to do this. My pleasure, Shane. It's a topic that is a critical part of every professional organization. And, you know, it's, it's, scout draft and develop and the development piece of it is every bit as important as the other two you have to have good eyes on the players you have to be fortuitous in where your positioning is in the draft but most importantly you have to be able to develop them and because every player is literally an individual um, there isn't one way to do it there are some good thoughts there are you know some some precedent and some history for what's worked out well but I think it's an ongoing discussion and has to be talked about constantly because the pool keeps changing and what the backgrounds of these kids are coming in as a factor and the different development stages, whether it be college or junior hockey or whatever it may be, European is all revolving and, and evolving. And so we have to stay on top of it. It, it will be important. One of the topics for this week I really want to get your uh, thoughts on were is decision strategy on sending prospects back to junior hockey. I know you've, you'd experienced that in, in your past work with the Toronto Maple Leafs, but most recently we saw a case study with Shane Wright, you know, unfold, you know, a, right in front of our eyes, which I find really interesting is trying to balance what's best for the player, what's best for the organization, What's their strategic goals? What's their management philosophy overall? And then how does that impact that player? What that player has done in the past? What you project them to be in the future? How do you get them there? Where's the best place to put him? You know, from your perspective of like your experiences, like how have those scenarios unfolded in front of you and seeing the things that have worked and then some of the things that maybe perhaps didn't work based on the individual player? Well, I'll get into a couple of these specific instances we dealt with when I was with Toronto, but um, ahead of that, just with Shane Wright this year himself. So there have been four NHL players, four players in last year's draft, 2022, that have now played an NHL game. Two of them are with one organization, Montreal. And had Montreal taken Shane Wright number one, would they have in fact kept him up as they did with your Slavkovsky? And so it, it's kind of a little bit of a wrinkle in there. And the, right. the fourth one was just on the weekend with Owen Beck. And that was, I think, excellent use of the rules by Montreal. They get into an emergency situation. And Owen Beck was the young man, a second-round pick, who played very well in training camp, really impressed, and went back to play junior and then got traded in junior and went from Mississauga to Peterborough. And then – you know, all of a sudden gets called up to the NHL. And my immediate thought was this is really smart because it's a free look for Montreal. It's a great little incentive for the player to play a game. Um, He did come in, he played, and had an opportunity to, to taste it. And then going back, how important that is in junior in the development. Uh, The other two, one was Shane Wright, who played a total of eight games. And then David Juracek, who got called up, um, from the American League, the American League being an option for him because he, he wasn't drafted from the CHL. 
Right. And so those are all wrinkles that come into play here as we get into this discussion. But let's start with with a couple of players that we drafted very high in Toronto and their development paths and how they were affected. And the first one was Nazem Kadri in 2009. And he went back and he played the next season in London and excelled. I mean, it was just terrific. The immediate pressure in Toronto was to bring him to the NHL. And, and, but that was outside pressure. That wasn't internal pressure. Sure. And, you know, you can't let that factor into it. He played portions, significant portions of three years in the American Hockey League with the Toronto Marlins. Now, the wrinkle in the third year, Shane, was that was the year of the lockout. And I think he would have been a full-time player in 12 and 13. But instead, he spent the first half of the year in the American Hockey League. And that may have been the icing that propelled him to never go back. And I remember a weekend out in St. John and and Dave Andrews, the commissioner of the American Hockey League, was out there. And Nazem was so far and away the best player on the ice that weekend. Remember Dave saying to me, you know you have an NHL player there when you see a player dominate like that. He said, I'm having a hard time thinking of a player dominating a weekend, and there were two good teams that much in the American Hockey League. And so that was the final blessing, if you will, but that was out of our control. The NHL was locked out. And then when he came up in the second half of 12-13, he was an NHL player right away. The second one that comes to mind is Morgan Riley. Now, Morgan was taken fifth overall in 2012, but a little bit different because he had only played 18 games in his draft year. Right. And that was the, that was the year of the injuries. And we had the fifth player in the draft. Two of the guys that went top five missed almost the entire year. Um, Alex Kalchanik did at number three and Morgan Riley did at number five. So when we took Morgan, we fully intended, and, and the idea was, you know, you're going back to junior, you're ready to develop. But at the end of that year, he had a valuable piece in the American League when he was done playing in junior. And he played, he, he might have played a total of 20 games between regular season and playoffs. And that told us through his play in the American League that he was ready to play in the, in the National Hockey League the next year. Um, yeah. A couple of teams that I cover closely, Ottawa is an interesting team to look at because they are very adamant is the wrong word, but very strong on their on their minor league system, and they want to develop players. And Drake Bafson's a perfect example. Um, Drake, you know, fourth round pick, plays in the American Hockey League for basically a year. Comes up, I was in the building when he scored his first goal, but then they sent him back to junior and that put, or to Belleville rather. And that put the finishing touches on when he came back a second time, he was ready to play in the NHL. And I think that back and forth is an interesting one. The taste, uh, as you will call it, because you get to see how hard it is and what exactly you have to work on. But there's some things you can't work on in the NHL. It's too fast. It's It's not a development league. It's not a development league, Shane. And, and there's no right formula. Now, Uri Slavkovsky, I think, was a very different case here. And he had played professionally in the Finnish League. He had played um, at home professionally with men. But I think in that case, they felt 12 minutes a night, as long as he was progressing and learning, was enough. 
And, and we talked about it, you know, we have the opportunity to talk to the coach and we talked about it. Yeah. I, I would say you'd go four or five games before the top could come up again. And, and the coach would say, look, he, he's, he played 12 minutes last night. We were seeing some things. We we're seeing some development along the boards. I think Shane, they just wanted to keep him in house. I do. I think they, they like their development model. Um, Marty San Luis stays out on the ice for half an hour, 45 minutes, some days after practice. Stefan Robidaw is here with the defenseman. Trevor Litowski is here. Um, Alex Burroughs is here. So they have an in-house development group that I think they felt more comfortable with, with Slavkovsky and just monitoring his day-to-day development than he would in LaBelle. So once again, those are a, a handful of different cases. Um, we're seeing, you know, the model, uh, Jake Sanderson in Ottawa. He went back for his second year of college at North Dakota. And when I was asked about it, I said, look, here are a couple of good models of kids that went back for their second year. In my background, obviously, I coached for 10 years in the NCAA, and I watched kids develop at different rates. And I watched some kids leave after a year, and I thought it was too early. Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. Right. Go back for their second year, step into the NHL, and are absolutely ready to play. So that's like your two years of going back to junior, essentially going back to, to, you know, division one to a college program. But the advantage you have is you're playing against 22 and 23 year olds. And with that case, I had no questions from everybody I talked to um, the limited sample size I had that Jake Sanderson was going to step into the NHL. Shane, he's really good. He's really good. And he's ready every night. You know, and I think it's really important, and we talk about this uh, throughout our program over the last 18 years, how it's important for those players to establish the proper habits, and then, but mentally and emotionally, build up those attributes of resilience and mental, emotional grit, and then also to recognize they have to be the man in those situations before you take that next step. You have to take all those critical situations, because that's where your habit forming comes in because we never rise to the challenge. We always fall to the level of our training. So you have to build those habits up so that when things get critically tough, mentally and emotionally and physically, that you have enough habits that it becomes autotelic and you're not having to think about it from that perspective. And Shane, the final piece for me, I went to, to university for four years, no thoughts of coming out early, no thoughts of essentially playing in the NHL. The final piece for me was actually a year I spent in Sweden playing in Division One for Rugla. And it wasn't Elite Series. It was Division One. Rugla was back then. They're a very high-profile program now uh, in the Elite Series. But my head coach was Ted Sater, and who had coached over there um, a couple of different divisions. And when I got there, he said, okay, here's the deal. You have to be the leading goal scorer in the league. And I looked at him and I said, Ted, I, I've never led a lead goal scoring anywhere and he said well that's what we brought you over to do and you're going to score goals and you're going to score a lot of them and i'm going to help you with that and for me i've never been told that at any level and you know i had been a really good college player but it never dominated the game in the sense of going out for a game knowing i was going to be the best player and that's the way it was in sweden and he put that pressure on me every single night so my perfect storm was being a little bit older, being of the age, you know, I was 23 when I went over to Europe, um, being able to, to work on that. The other piece probably, you know, that doesn't get recognized or touted enough is the discipline I had off the ice at Notre Dame for four years. 
um, the discipline to go to a university like that and to succeed in the classroom, man, was an eye opener for me when I got to yeah. college. And I saw the amount of work that these kids did. I was like, so let me get this straight. It's five hours of homework every night. Yeah. <laughs> it just, and it then just you wasn't got, something then you I got was hockey. used to. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got hockey. And so time management and discipline and all the factors off the ice that contributed to my success on the ice. But the final piece was, was Ted Sater telling me, you're going to dominate. So I learned how to dominate. And it worries me when kids play up all the way along. You know, an eight-year-old plays with 10-year-olds because he can't. Yeah. But he doesn't dominate 10-year-olds. No. And, you know, and, and I like having that ability. That's going back to the American League, going back to junior. Be the best player. Yeah. Know what it feels like to be the very best player. Because when you're at the highest level, everybody's pretty good. Absolutely. Dave, I want to thank you very much for coming on our show. I really appreciate the insight. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, Shane. That's Dave Poulin, former NHL executive and TSN analyst. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We're speaking with Mark Cronowitz, the Executive Director of Silent Ice. Mark, thanks for coming on the show again. We appreciate it. Thanks, Shane. Uh, really looking forward to doing the segment with you and how people are changing the game. Well, this, that's the name of the, our segment is Game Changer. So this topic that I wanted to get into, it really establishes your company's why. And when you establish your why, that's where individuals outside of your company become attracted to you because they agree with and are attracted to why you do what you do. And, it's, and they don't come to you for you. They come to you for themselves because they identify that. So in this topic, why build a new academy and a minor hockey model? What was missing from the minor hockey model that you thought it was necessary to get a group of people together, like-minded, and actually create action? Oh, thanks for asking, Shane. I think the why is so important. Uh, we get to ask that question all the time. And I, I think, you know, again, I talk about this inflection point in 2016 where we felt the game was heading basically in the wrong direction. 
you, know, you had two different systems and choices for athletes and elite hockey players. Uh, you could continue through your traditional minor hockey path or else you could go and move into the academy model, which was being provided by the CSSHL out west here. And the challenge that we had is, is that when you look at accessibility and uh, creating uh, opportunities for all athletes to get high-end hockey development, uh, we really felt that, the, you know, it's almost like socioeconomic discrimination. That the only way to play borderless hockey in Canada was actually through the CSSHL. So if you're a minor hockey family and you wanted to go play in the CSSHL and you didn't have the economic uh, capability to do that, you didn't have the opportunity to play borderless hockey. We strongly believe that parents and families needed a choice. Uh, and we felt that there needed, there was an alternative that could be there. And kind of the idea was, is that we, when we first created the Hockey Super League, we started out at younger ages and they progressed. And as our players now are a lot of them being drafted or being scouted by NCAA teams, uh, junior A teams, uh, you know, they were transitioning. We were actually having players that were leaving our system to go play borderless hockey in the CSSHL. Uh, I personally reflect on it. Uh, I'm the oldest of uh, four boys. Uh, I have three brothers. We all played high level hockey. And uh, I think about my parents having to dole out over a hundred grand for each of us to go play borderless hockey. And uh, it's, my impossible. Parents didn't, it's impossible. Half a million dollars. And when you think about, you know, especially around attracting top end athletes, uh, we felt that there needed to be an alternative. And that's why we created the junior prospects hockey league. Uh, we felt that, specifically in the Hockey Super League, where we have over 100 teams now in Western Canada, we believe we have the best athletes coming through and are actually being attracted to Hockey Super League. We needed this transition so that we could bring our players up to be prospects uh, through this new league and transition. If you compare that to the traditional CSSHL, the CSSHL does not have a grassroots feeder system. They take players out of minor hockey or now actually they compete for players of minor hockey and out of the Hockey Super League, which is an independent league that feeds into the JPHL. So for us, it was really about creating this transition uh, opportunity for our athletes. And to your point, Shane, on the why, we just really felt that parents needed a choice. Uh, I believe that when you have a monopoly on something and people don't have a choice, that's when you end up with the problems. And some of the problems that we're having in the game, people look at the systemic issues that are in the game. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that parents are afraid to speak up and speak out in a system when you don't have alternatives. And by creating this other alternative now, we've been able to attract over 20 teams. It's amazing to see the caliber of player and the type of prospects that are being developed there. And it's being recognized by junior A teams. A lot of players are now being LOI'd out of our league. Uh, we're seeing now NCAA teams reaching out to us. And, you know, we have over a dozen players that are either listed by WHL teams. Uh, we have multiple players that have signed contracts with WHL teams. So we are really creating that alternative for athletes and for families to play high-level hockey at about half the cost of the traditional CSSHL academies. So, you know, and interesting thing about that is the challenge I've found in, in minor hockey, and I have two young boys that – you know, are in their beginning stages of that is if you speak out, you get blackballed. And if you get blackballed in your minor hockey association, your kids are directly negatively affected because there's no other place to go. And well, the other place, the other place to go is, is $25,000 a year and no working parent can afford that. You just, you just can't. Well, they are somehow they are, and well, you know, they're mortgaging, the, remortgaging their houses and putting themselves into horrendous debt and pushing back their retirement. Like, there's, I understand economics. I'm like, 
doing a PhD in behavioral economics. So I get, I yeah. get it, but I just think that the process of that is, is ridiculous because that's your child's undergrad and grad school tuition and books paid for already. There's no guarantee when you put a kid through an academy that they're going to get that return on investment. It to me, it's crazy. Yeah. It, it's a, it is a challenge. And you know what? I, I highly respect it. You know, I look at the number of players that are being drafted on the CSSHL. Fundamentally, the concept of academy hockey is right. This idea that, you know, our athletes show up in the morning, uh, they're bust in, they're on the ice first thing in the morning. Uh, 10 minutes later, they're, they're out of the, off the ice, they're doing their off ice and then, you know, walk across the street and they're right into uh, their academics and it's all planned and scheduled across the year. So that part of it's correct. But in order to make it more economically feasible for more families, how we, our model's different is, is that we actually uh, uh, manage and fund all of the hubs that the JPHL teams play in. So we have two hubs out on the coast. Uh, uh, pardon me, Vancouver, one on the, one on the island, uh, one in central BC based out of Kelowna, one in Calgary, Lethbridge, two up in the Edmonton region. And uh, because of that, it's kind of this concept that you can create one standard for all teams. So it's not like one team, you know, to play there, it's $50,000 and another team, it's $30,000. In our league, it's quite a bit less than that. It's in the $12,500 to $15,000 range, depending upon uh, which hub uh, but uh, all the hubs kind of have the same standards. So they travel with the same type of uh, 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 rules and how where they stay in the same type of hotels, they get the same type of pregame meals. And the standard for the coaching and the development models, uh, our ability to bring in true movement, which is you know used by McDavid and some of the guys uh, across all our programs, all of our programs use Power Edge Pro. Uh, we're able to create this really high standard around development. So these athletes get all these high-end development opportunities they get. Uh, what we think is more consistent coaching. And because of the way that uh, the model is funded using this hub model, it allows us to provide better uh, economical development for our families. Uh, it, obviously, we're not we're not doing this to try and profit. We hear people saying that this is about profiteering. I can share with you that that's not the case at all. Uh, it really is about trying to create this new opportunity for families. And you know, I think you brought up a great point on you know people not being willing to speak out. That's fundamentally been the problem. And a lot of things, people are afraid to speak up and step outside the system. So it took a brave group of people to do this. I think about that first group of families in 2016. Uh, we got, you know, a lot of those are 2007 athletes and a, right. a lot, just about all those players are going to be playing junior A or major junior hockey uh, in the whole group. So, you know, we believe those families are the ones that kind of broke the ground for other people playing independent hockey, you know, being ostracized by minor hockey families where people say, well, if you play in uh, independent hockey, like hockey super league, the JPHL, your other brother can't, can't play in minor hockey, things like that. You know, we, we just really believe that the game needs to become accessible and, and, and be more, you know, focused around development of the athletes. And that goes right. to everything that we do. Is there an opportunity moving forward to incorporate corporate sponsorship in that to help reduce costs? Because there are still some families where, say, $12,000 is a lot of money. Can you know get it down where there's a, maybe a 50% cut in that because you have certain, certain athletes come from social economic backgrounds that simply still can't afford that. And that's where these corporations can come in and work as a partnership to help increase the number of athletes. Cause they're all, not all the great athletes come from, you know, upper middle-class families. They just don't. 
Yeah, and we are working on that, you know, and this is, you know, it's groundbreaking. We, we basically dropped the puck in September. And, you know, what's really interesting is this, you know, our approach about how we actually promote our players and the social media. And anybody who follows the Junior Prospects Hockey or the JPHL social media feeds knows what I'm talking about. It's super impressive. And, uh, you know, that is our leverage point now to help raise the bar. And, and now sponsors are coming to corporate people see the type of media that we're generating through our league, uh, the ability for the exposure for their brands to be tied to something that's really, really tightly tied to the grassroots of the game. And uh, absolutely, we've got some really exciting announcements coming up. Uh, we're going to be, uh, there's recently we announced that we have a new two-rig facility that's going to be just dedicated to independent and, hockey, which is super And we'll super talk about exciting. that in the next uh, next couple uh, segments as well from that standpoint. So, and that's what's really interesting is uh, next steps. Um, and we have a, a variety of different topics that you and I are going to get are going to explore and talk about because I want to I want to push back on some of the things that you guys are doing just to sort of like flush it out not only in my mind but also for our our listeners as well and Mark we want to thank you very much for coming on the show once again look forward to speaking to you next episode thanks Shane really appreciate being part of this Mark Kronowit the executive director of Silent Ice we're gonna take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio we'll be back right after these messages Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. The Junior Prospect Hockey League is Western Canada's newest elite developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. The JPHL features professional coaches and skill development coaches, along with comprehensive practice, game, and academic schedule, allowing athletes to be successful in a more cost-effective model compared to similar hockey and school programs. To learn more and see why the JPHL is the ideal choice for your student-athlete and family, visit JuniorProspectsHockeyLeague.com. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and their studies to another level at JuniorProspectHockeyLeague.com. We are speaking with Patrick Williams, AHL correspondent for NHL.com and AHL.com. Patrick, thanks for coming on the show again. And as we roll through the alphabetical order of the American Hockey League teams, next up is the Belleville Senators. And what's really intrigued me is if you look at their history, the last five, six years, they've had the same primary staff in terms of coaches and player development staff that go between the parent club and the American hockey league. And of course, you know, they, they did add Ryan bonus this year as their general manager, but underneath him, there's been stability for more than five years as, and as well as, you know, in the American hockey league, that's unusual. So like from your perspective of looking back at past history, looking at the Belleville centers and, you know, the people they have in place, what do you expect and what have you seen 
that is going to impact the parent club of the Ottawa Senators because of this consistent consistency and stability in staff. Yeah, for for really the first um, first time really since Luke Richardson uh, was handling things back in their previous stop with Binghamton, there's actually some coaching stability behind the bench. Uh, you have uh, Troy Mann there, um, who's a highly highly respected coach in the league, one of the senior most coaches in the the AHL. Um, he was a part of that that Hershey Washington system for a long time there. That's right, as an assistant and a head. So you know he saw it up close and actively was a part of uh, what was a really productive farm system, right? So, you know, before he got there, though, they had <clears throat> they had run through, uh, you know, three coaches in four years with their affiliates, uh, Richardson, Kurt Kleinendorst, and uh, <clears throat> when Mann, uh, Troy Mann came in. So um, that was back in 2018. So, you know, as, as unstable as the last few years have been in the hockey world, you know, in terms of uh, the pandemic, COVID, COVID, right. like that. Belleville has had some bench stability. I think um, that's why you've seen a pretty productive farm system, all things considered. Uh, the last number of years, you look at the players now with with Ottawa who've uh, gone through Belleville, right? Like, well, really great just went up last week. Um, you have uh, <clears throat> Thomas Shabbat had a quick uh, stop there at Brandstrom, Josh Norris, uh, Drake Batherson. I mean, those are some real, real impact players that came through there um, at different points. Um and there's there's you know another decent crop coming up again. So um, obviously Ottawa is going to be a small market team. It's it's just the way it is. And um, but uh, they have really they've had a productive farm system. Now obviously there's other elements in in Ottawa that you have to account for. But um, for for a team that you know obviously is not going to be a a big free agent team or anything like that. You know in terms of spending money, um, they've been. They've been pretty successful in developing that young talent, and that a lot of that is because of uh, Troy Mann there behind the bench in Belleville. Well, I mean, they had they've had like two development people there for quite some time mm-hmm. in terms of Sean Donovan and Jesse Winchester, so they've had stability there too. So it's a relationship they build with Troy Mann and his coaching staff, mm-hmm. and then the relationships they build with the players, and they know that they're they're, they're not going anywhere. There isn't going to be a new message in six months or in, in a year. You're not going to change systems, you know, like they're not going to change tactics and strategies. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain level of comfort for the players. So when you talk to the players in, in Belleville, how much does that come across in terms of it's just they there's certainty in their lives. Right. Sure. You know, knowing that these guys aren't going away and they're going to be rely, you can rely upon them. Yeah, well, so let's start with goaltending, right? Like, say you're, say you're Mad Sogard, right, or you're um, Kevin Mandelizzi, or, or even a veteran like Antoine Bebo, right? Like, right. You've had Justin Peters there now, um, and Bebo just got here, but um, Justin Peters has been the goalie coach in Belleville the last three seasons. So um, now you're getting a consistent message from one year to the next. You're not having, you know, especially with goalies, right? Like can't tell you how many times I've seen a young goalie go through maybe two or three goalie coaches by the time he's 23, 24 years old. And, you know, you, you get one, one coach right. saying, do this. The next Another year, coach. somebody coming in saying, do the opposite. 100%. The third coach comes in and says, well, scrap all that. We're going to rebuild you in my image. And um, by the time guy is 23, 24, 25, uh, he's just had all these mixed messages. And, um, you know, kind of doesn't really know, you know, top from bottom anymore so yeah that's a that's a huge element i think people don't really think much 
well in the American Hockey League is that stability and, and that consistent messaging uh, and just establishing uh, certain parameters and habits and, and culture and all those. They're all buzzwords, but they're buzzwords for a reason, right? Like, Well, and- I mean, they're, they're, it's not even a like, – from my perspective, it's not – I know people can call it a buzzword, but it's not because sure. those are the – these are tactics and strategies. Yeah. For prop for business management and business operations, and that's what the, sure. the American Hockey League franchise is. And so, as we're recording this, I just uh, got word that head coach Troy Mann has been fired by the, by the Belleville Senators for allegedly uh, giving pre scouting material to another team. So we can take all of that stability and just throw it at the damn window. So there we go. You know, we can talk about, you know, Bridgeport in that respect. Yeah. When Lou Lamorello came in and then Chris Lamorello takes over, you know, Bridgeport, and then, you know, they have Brent Thompson as their coach. Well, he's a veteran presence and he's reliable. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that's why it's one of the reasons why I want to talk about both these franchises. Thankfully, they're both in alphabetical order, but they actually, thankfully, they also have similarities in terms of, you know, like hardcore structure. This yeah. is the way it is. This is what you're going to do. And, we're reliable. Like there's yeah. no mixed messaging when it comes from Lou to Chris to Brent to the players and their development staff. It's like everybody is in lockstep. And for yeah. a player, if I'm a player, that's exactly what I want to hear is that there's no mixed messages. There's no uncertainty. This is exactly what we want you to do. Here's your mm-hmm. role. And we're going to help you get better at it. Yeah. Whisper down the lane is probably a good analogy, right? Where, right. you know, you get the message from, you know, the president or the GM, and by the time it trickles down to that prospect, right, you know, it's been through three or four or five different uh, reiterations every time. If you don't have that that uh, that stability, if you don't have that that consistency in the, in the messaging, you know, little details can go by the wayside, right? So, yeah, Bridgeport's a great example of that as well. Um, but, you know, I compare, if you think of the NHL as Wall Street, let's say, or, you know, big business, the yeah. HL is like Harvard uh, Business School, right? It's it's where you're going for your MBA to finish, or you're ready to go, you know, there into the big leagues, you know, and, and that's what the HL is there for. So you're getting a consistent education if you're doing it right. And we've talked about this, right? Like the, the best NHL operations, like the Tampa's of the world, and you know, Washington's like and yeah, Washington LA, and LA, and yeah, they've and always had that element in their yeah. development system is that consistency and. and Year to year to year, you know exactly what the message is going to be. You know what the the system's going to be. You know what the culture is going to be. All those elements, right, are all firmly in place and, and they're not negotiable. You know, I was just talking with uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Kaiser uh, in Providence, a good young goalie prospect, and you know he said his exact words were, you know, the the Boston Bruins aura and their way of doing things permeates all the way down through all the way down to the ECHL, even you know so. Um, there's a consistency there, top to bottom, you know, uh, what they're doing in Boston, they're doing in Providence, they're doing in Maine, and, you know, the same thing with, with you know, like an Ottawa and a Belleville. And that's why um, you start to you start to see these farm systems. It takes a couple of years. It's not easy. Um, it's like turning a ship around. But when you do get it right, then that's when you start seeing those prospects uh, start to turn out. Yeah, no, and it makes a huge difference. That's where when I'm writing reports and I'm looking at, you know, div- player development and scouting efficiencies and player development, how that impacts. There's always a theme developed. It's always the same sure. teams, right? Same that team. have a high efficiency. And then I go back and look at the development staffs. How long have they been there? Who's been there? And it's, 
it's amazing how <laughs> the the best teams are always the most consistent and have had the same people mm-hmm. and the same messaging and they just keep adding on to it instead of constantly changing. So, you know, that's what I find really fascinating about the American League. And I think it's so the league itself is so grossly under appreciated and under promoted from my perspective. So uh, thanks again, Patrick, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, this has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM, Insult Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level. You can listen to this show in your favorite podcast network or on youtube and follow us at twitter at hp radio and at hockeyprospectradio.com thank you to all our guests and we will see you at the rink